0: Today's scripture reading is taken from 1st John chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. 1st John chapter 5, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. May God speak to us through his word.
1: Thanks, Patrick, for
0: reading scripture to
1: us. Uh, that is our text for today, 1 John 5, 6 to 12. Uh, last week, Ian preached and he spoke from 1 John 5, the opening verses, to verse 5, and he talked about uh, victory. And as we saw from our text last week, uh, in, especially in verse 4, it says, we have victory uh, through faith, right? Faith gives us victory. So to follow on from last week's text, uh, John goes on this, this, in this passage to talk about uh, faith. Right. What is faith? If, if faith gives us victory, then, then we need to know what is faith? You know, what is this thing called faith that we, that we talk about so much, especially in uh, Christian circles? You may know the writer Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain said this about faith. Faith is believing what you know ain't so. That's how Mark Twain defined faith. Faith is believing what you know ain't so. Uh, to skeptics like Mark Twain, faith is like wishful thinking, a form of positive thinking to help us to cope with life. Right? You know, people say you, you need to have faith. Just when, you, when you face troubles, just believe, just, just have faith, just trust that something good will happen somehow. Right? I mean, that's, that's how faith. the word faith is often used in casual conversations. Uh, if you're like me, you receive many WhatsApp messages during the week telling you to have faith, right? You know, how many of you get sort of inspirational WhatsApp messages sent to you on your chat groups, right? Just, just, just believe. You know, everything every day will be better, uh, right? We, we get messages like that on WhatsApp every week. In fact, we don't have to be religious or spiritual to have faith. Even atheists have faith. Uh, one of my friends uh, used to be, an atheist, I mean, he said this about himself in the past. I believed in all my heart that God doesn't exist. Right? So even atheists have faith. All of us have faith, whether we are Christian or not. You know, all of us are trusting in something. All of us are trusting in someone. We may not call it faith, but we are relying on something or someone to make sense of life, the universe, and everything. We believe in a way of thinking, a worldview, a philosophy. We believe in the people we love. We we trust them to see us through life. We believe in ourselves, in in how we think, in, in our own ability to figure things out, in our own ability to make plans, and to get ourselves through life in a good way, right? All, all of us, whether you call yourself a Christian today or not, all of us have faith. You know, but what matters in the end is not how much faith we have. And what matters in the end is it's not even how sincere my faith is, but what ultimately matters is whether the thing we trust, right? The, the, the person we trust is trustworthy. If I could have the next slide. I have a lot of faith that this car is a great car. You know, I really, really want to buy this car because I trust that this car will take me places. What would you say to me? Would you say, Eugene, great idea, go go buy this car. You know, it's a really, really good car. You know, your, your faith is sincere. You have so much faith in this car, it must be a good car. Would you say that to me? No, I, I hope not. I mean, you look at the car and you say, I don't think so. <laughs> this car doesn't look like it's trustworthy. This car doesn't look like it's, it's something that you want to put your faith in. Right, no matter how much faith I may have, no matter how in sincere my faith is in this car, it's a bad idea to buy this car and to, to drive it. The value of my faith doesn't actually depend on me. Uh, the value of my faith depends on the object of my faith, what I believe in, right? So, so my, if I have faith in this car, then my faith is of value if this car is able to be driven, right? It's a reliable car. But if not, then my faith is worthless, no matter how much faith I may have, no matter how sincere my faith may be. You know, this, this is very helpful, especially for, you know, sometimes in Christian circles, you talk to Christians, and many Christians feel discouraged because they feel that they don't have enough faith, right? I think a lot of us struggle with, oh, we don't have enough faith. We need more faith. Uh, I, I put it to us this morning that the problem is not that we don't have enough faith. The problem is we, we don't, maybe, maybe we don't know who we are trusting in. We, we don't know the object of our faith well enough. Because again, the value of our faith doesn't depend on how much faith we have, but the value of our faith depends on who we're trusting in, what we're trusting in. So we're we not saved by faith, friends. We are not saved by our faith. You know this, this, could be, this could sound like a controversial statement, right? Wait, 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 wait a minute, what are you saying? We're not saved by faith? No, actually, strictly speaking, we're not. We're not saved by our faith, we're, we're saved by Jesus. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Imagine a man who falls into the sea. and you know he's struggling. He's about to drown. Someone sees him in the sea. And, he tr- and this person throws the man in the sea a life preserver. You know that ring, that life preserver? This man in the sea is struggling. He sees the life preserver that's, that's fallen near to him. He clings on to the life preserver. And great, he's saved. Now, but what? What saved this man's life? This is the life preserver, right? You know, his ha- yes, his hand held on to the life preserver and he was saved, but, but it would be strange for this man to come out of the water and say, I'm, I'm so glad I saved myself because my hand held on. Right? No, he would say, thank you for throwing the life preserver to me. This saved my life. And in the same way, faith is like the hand that holds on to that life preserver but it's a life preserver that saves us, not the hand that holds on. The hand is merely the the instrument that that grips the object of faith. American theologian Warfield wrote these words about faith. He says, It is not strictly speaking even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides resides exclusively not in the act of faith or the attitude of faith or the nature of faith, but in the object of faith. So in other words, it's who we trust in that saves us, not how much faith we have or how sincere our faith may be. So Jesus saves, not our faith. If Jesus is the one who saves, then we need to ask, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who's the Jesus that we trust in? Who's the Jesus that we have faith in? You know the false teachers that that uh, John writes about in First John. You know they all had faith. The, the problem was not a lack of faith. The false teachers all had faith. They believed. They believed in Jesus. But the Jesus that the false teachers believed in was a Jesus based on their own ideas about who he should be. So many people believe in a Jesus of their own making, according to their own ideas about who Jesus should be. You know, people believe in Jesus as a wise man, uh, uh, a good teacher. They believe in Jesus as a good moral example. Uh, they believe in Jesus as an advocate for family values, right, of, of morality. They believe in Jesus as a champion for social justice. Uh, we believe in Jesus as a political revolutionary who comes to free the oppressed. Many people believe in Jesus, and people want messiahs who look like them, who give them what they want. Some of us here may want a Jesus who gives us a comfortable and successful life, a Jesus who inspires us and makes us feel good about ourselves. So we all, many people believe in Jesus. But how can we be sure that the Jesus we believe in is the real Jesus? how can we be sure that the Jesus that we trust in is really worthy of our trust and will not let us down? So we need a trustworthy witness who will tell us the truth about Jesus. You know when we think about biblical faith, it's, biblical faith is not blind. It's based on testimony. And whose testimony? Who should we believe? Now, this passage tells us that God is the one who testifies about Jesus. So biblical faith doesn't mean just having lots of it, but biblical faith means believing what God says about His Son. So the ideas that we have of Jesus are not our own, but the ideas that we have of Jesus come from what God says about Him, about His Son. So let's let's begin with the first point, what God says about Jesus, verses 6 to 9. God speaks through three witnesses, and these three witnesses testify to the truth about Jesus. You know, the three witnesses in this passage are the water, the blood, and the spirit. Now, John begins by talking about Jesus as He who came. Now, He who came, you know, in verse 6, this is He who came. Now, He who came is actually a messianic title. It's a messianic term. It comes from Psalm 118: "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." So straight away, John tells us, you know, Jesus is He who came. Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ. And the Christ just means God's chosen and anointed king, the one God has specially chosen to fulfill His purposes to save and to rule God's people. So John tells us, Jesus is He who came, the Christ. Who came. And, and how did Jesus come? John tells us he came by water and blood. What does this mean? Water and blood. You know, some say that this is a reference to John chapter 19, the crucifixion of Jesus. You know, in John chapter 19, verse 34, it says, One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So some say, oh, it's a reference to that, right, blood and water, water and blood. Well, I, I don't think so because in, in that passage, John talks about what comes out of Jesus, which is blood and water, but, but here what John is saying is that Jesus came by water and blood. He's not talking about what came out of Jesus, but how he came by water and blood. So so what, do we, so what does that mean, to come by water, if it doesn't refer to this, the crucifixion scene? To come, when Jesus came by water, it means his baptism. The Gospel of Luke says this about Jesus' baptism. When Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So when John talks about Jesus coming by water, John is referring to that baptism of jesus and how at the baptism of jesus god says something about his son god tells us the truth about his son at the baptism of jesus right that, that little quote at the end of verse 22 in Luke 3 you are my beloved son with whom with you i am well pleased no that that little quote is actually a uh, A merging of two Old Testament passages. The first passage is Psalm 2. God quotes from Psalm 2 to show us that Jesus is his son and the all conquering king that Psalm 2 speaks about. What does Psalm 2 say? Verse 6 and 7. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You. Are my son, today I have begotten you. So God says this about Jesus at his baptism, saying, Hey, this this man who's being baptized is no ordinary man, but this man is my king, whom I will establish him, and he will rule over my kingdom. Right? Psalm 2. The second part of the of what God says at Jesus' baptism is taken from Isaiah 42. With you I am well pleased. That little little phrase is taken from Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. With you I am well pleased. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, Now, why does God quote from Isaiah 42? Isaiah 42, if you read the rest of the chapter, Isaiah 42 speaks of the suffering servant whom God will send, the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about. So, by being baptized, Jesus was showing us the kind of king that he would be. Not, Not a king that would conquer kingdoms by the might of his military power, but a king who is baptized, a king who identifies with the weakness of his people. You know, if you think about it, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus had no sin. And baptism is a sign that symbolizes repentance from sin. That's why John the Baptist is puzzled. When Jesus says, I want to be baptized, John the Baptist looks at him and says, why, why do you of all people need to be baptized? In fact. I need to be baptised by you. Why why are you asking me to baptise you? Because John the Baptist understands that Jesus had no sin. He had no weakness. So why did someone who had no sin and no weakness need to be baptised? Our answer is actually from Isaiah 42. Jesus is the King who is also the suffering servant who comes, identifies with the weakness of people like us. He walks in our shoes. He bears our sin and our weaknesses in order that we might be saved. Which brings us to the next point, right? the blood. Jesus came by the water and he came by the blood. <coughs> the blood refers to Jesus' death on the cross. His blood cleanses us from all sin. First you know, John tells us that in chapter 1 verse 7. Now this is the reason why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross. He came by the blood. Now, why do we need the cross? Why do we need the cross? All of us have turned away from our Creator God. This God is perfectly good, He's perfectly just, and He's perfectly uh, faithful to us. But we've all turned away from Him, and because of our unfaithfulness to our Creator God, we deserve God's judgment against us. But God, in His amazing love and grace, he did not leave us in our sins, but He sent His only Son, His beloved Son, you know, this Son with whom He is well pleased. He sent this Son on a rescue mission to save sinners like us. And by dying on the cross, Jesus bore the judgment and wrath of God in our place. And after three days, Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And then by repenting of our sins and trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, We can share in Jesus' victory. I think that's why John talks about the victory that we have. It's not faith itself that gives us that victory. It is Christ who gives us that victory and we trust in Him. We follow Him. So by believing in Jesus who rose from the dead, we have victory over sin and death. As we turn to Him, as we put our faith in Him, we die to our sins and we are raised with Jesus in new life. That's the victory that John speaks of. Now, if Jesus did not die on the cross, then there is no forgiveness of sin. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, there is no salvation, no gospel. That's why John says Jesus Christ came by water and the blood. Look at verse 6, you know, he emphasizes, right? Came by water and the blood, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Because some deny the death of Jesus on the cross for sin. Some some don't think that He truly died, and some don't believe that He died for sinners. John says, no, you have to have both. He came by water and He came by the blood. They're like like the two wings on an aeroplane. You can't have one wing without the other. The water and the blood tell us that we have a Saviour who became man and this Saviour identified with us in our weakness. Now friends, this is amazing news for us. Now, this Saviour knows us and He became flesh like us in order to identify with us fully, including with our sin and weakness. So friends, when we think about when we think about Jesus, we, we don't have to wait until we are strong before we come to Him. No, we, we don't have to wait until we've cleaned our lives up until we, before we can come to Him. Friends, we don't have to wait to come to Jesus. We come to Him now. We come to Him now with our weaknesses. We come to Him now feeling the full weight of our sin. And we can come to Him now bearing our burdens, laying them before Him and knowing that He will receive us because this King identifies with us. He came by water and the blood. When we come to Him empty-handed, having nothing but our weakness and our sin, without any righteousness to show, this Jesus will show us mercy and grace. Friends, this, this is the amazing invitation that we have even now that we can come to Him and find mercy and grace. Friends, do we know the Jesus of the Bible? Do we know this Jesus? Not the Jesus of our own making, not the Jesus of our own imagination, but Jesus as He's spoken of by God because He came by water and the blood. You know, if you're here and you know, maybe you don't call yourself a Christian and you're thinking, how do I find out more about this Jesus that we've just been talking about? Friends, uh, as, as Sam mentioned earlier, he prayed for the Seekers class. He prayed for the Tuesday Inquiry group. You know, friends, these are good opportunities for us to, to, go, for these, to go for one of these groups and to just listen, ask questions. You know, maybe have some of our doubts clarified. Uh, to hear about what the Bible says about who Jesus is. Friends, we, we owe it to ourselves to, to know this Jesus whom God has spoken about. Maybe speak to one, the, the friend that brought you here to church this morning. I, I asked that friend, you know, can you tell me more about Jesus? Maybe you'd like to read the Bible with me to, to kind of explain who Jesus is from His Word, from God's Word. You know, After service, there'll be elders standing at the, the various doors. So feel free to come stop, talk to us and, and ask us, hey, can you maybe tell me more about the sermon or, or Jesus, tell, tell me more about who this person is that I should trust in. You know, any one of us would be happy to talk to you more after the service. You know, Why do we talk so much about Jesus? Because He is the anchor of our faith. Right? Friends, remember, it's, we're not saved by our faith, we're saved by Jesus. So we can't help talking about Him because He is the, the anchor, the, the thing that, the person who holds our life together. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on Him, because we're so prone to wander away from Christ, right? You know, sometimes we, we think about our Christian lives as, yeah, you know, I, Jesus has saved me, now I need to do all these things and be a good person and, and follow all these uh, practices and, 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 and habits and routines. You know, I think that's not a good way to think about the Christian life. We don't want to move away from Jesus, but we want to live our Christian life rooted in Him, not thinking about our Christian lives as just something that we need to do, but rather trusting in Jesus. How, how, do, we, how do we do our CGs together as well? You know, do, we, do we have our groups kind of also moved away from Jesus? You know, think, think about the groups that we have, you know, every CG meeting that we have. Do people leave, you know, do we leave our CGs refreshed in Christ? Every time you gather for CG, who who do you talk about? Who do you really talk about? You talk about Christ. You know, as as a CG leader, is it your goal to ensure that the group members that you have leave every meeting, encountering Jesus, whether they're Christian or non-Christian? You know, do we make it a point to really preach Christ, so that every time we gather as God's people, we, we leave that gathering refreshed because we have again seen the beauty of our Savior. We've again seen the reason why we trust Him, why we have confidence in Him. You know, so, so this is really something that we aim for in every, t- every time we meet as a group. Do we leave the group encountering Christ? Yes, I've seen Him afresh. I've heard from Him again from His Word and I'm strengthened. I know Him better and I can follow Him better and become more like Him. Friends, this is something that we should, all, uh, we should all strive for more and more in our groups, when we gather on Sundays, in our individual lives as well. Again, when we study the Word on our own, you know, do we come to the Word, read it in, in, in view of wanting to know more about Jesus? As, as we read the Word for ourselves, are, are we seeing Christ? Are we seeing the mercy and grace of God? in His Word. And every time we read the Word for ourselves, do we we leave that reading refreshed? Because again, we have seen the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, has the Christian life become academic? Has the Christian life become just routine for us? Have, Have our groups become just a social gathering? Has church become just a habit on Sunday? Friends, we are so prone to wander away from Christ. We're so prone to forget that our lives are really rooted in Him, that He is the source of our life. Let me tell you the Greek legend of Odysseus, you know, you know, from, from that, that book, The Odyssey. Greek legend speaks of Odysseus, uh, who sailed past an island inhabited by creatures called sirens? Now, if you know sirens, right? That's where that's where we get the term "siren song." Sirens are beautiful creatures, and then they would sing. You know, they had they had kind of well, I guess maybe not beautiful, but they had sort of monstrous bodies with uh, female faces, beautiful female faces, and and these sirens would sing beautiful songs to lure sailors on their ships closer and closer and closer to the island. And then what will happen when ships sail too close to the island? They'll hit the rocks on the island and make shipwreck. Right? So, so, so this, is, this is how the sirens work, right? They, they would sing these really beautiful songs. The sailors would hear the songs be enchanted, entranced, and they'll come nearer and nearer and nearer until finally it's too late. The ships are dashed On the rocks of the island. So Odysseus knew that he was going to sail through this body of water that was really close to the island. So, this is what Odysseus did. He ordered his men to tie him to the mast of the ship. You see the man with his hands tied behind him? That's Odysseus. So, he ordered his men to tie him to the mast of the ship and not to release him, no matter how much he would beg. Right? So, so his. he could hear the siren songs, and he, 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 told, the, he told the men, you know, don't set me free. So, so it's true enough, when Odysseus, when Odysseus heard the songs of the siren, he, he started to yearn to go closer and closer to the island. He started to pull at the ropes that were holding him to the mast. He demanded to be set free. But his men followed his orders and made his ropes even tighter <laughs> so Odysseus couldn't, be, he couldn't get himself free. The men held on to Odysseus, kept him from making shipwreck of their, of their ship, right, losing all of their lives. And because of this, all of them made it safely past the island because Odysseus was tied to the mast the whole time. Why do I share the story about Odysseus tying being tied to the mast? You we should do for one another what Odysseus men did for him. You know, we we hear the siren songs of the world. And when we hear the siren songs of the world, the world lures us closer and closer and closer. And then some people make shipwreck of their faith dashed on the rocks of their worldly desires. So we need to be tied to the mast. We we need to kind of hold on to one another because we're all prone to wander away from Christ. We need to hold on to one another. We we need to say to one another, tie me to Christ. Tie me to Christ so I'm not enchanted by the siren songs of this world, that I don't wander further and further away from him. Tie me to Christ. God has brought us together as a church so that we can help one another to keep following Jesus. So in our our time together, whether it's in CG, in the conversations that you have with one another after the service during the week, whether you're visiting someone who is sick in the hospital, you're visiting someone who's lost a loved one, you're sharing a meal or coffee with one another, And in all these different ways in which we do life together as a church, we're speaking this same truth to one another. Tie me to Christ. Help me to see Jesus, to trust Him and to keep trusting Him, to not wander away from Him. This Jesus came by water and the blood. And there's also a third witness that our passage speaks about, which is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the truth because He testifies to the truth about Jesus. You know, some of us have seen the, the building in the evening, you know, this building in the evening. You know, it's, it's really pretty you know, when you come in the evening and you see lights around our building. And these lights shine on the building, bringing out the features of the building in the evening time. And it makes the building particularly beautiful. You know, we see the nice architectural features of this building so highlighted by the lights. Now, these lights shine on the building to point to the beauty of the building, right? the, 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 the architectural features that are, that are particularly striking. And that's what the Spirit does. The, the Spirit testifies to Jesus. The Spirit is like a light that shines on Jesus. And, and this, this, the Spirit helps us to see the beauty of the Saviour. The Spirit exercises what J.I. Packer calls a floodlight ministry, shining the light on Christ so that we see His beauty. We see the light and we glorify Christ. So this is the third witness that John speaks about, the Spirit. The Spirit opens our heart to receive the truth about Jesus so that we have the testimony in us, in us. The Spirit speaks to us through God's Word and enables, it enables us to internalize the message of the gospel. Now, this is the vital difference between just having a lot of information about Jesus and actually believing in Him. Right? Paul describes the Spirit's work in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And he says, our, spirit, our, sorry, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Now this is what the Spirit does. He's the witness that bears witness to us internally so that the gospel comes to us and it convicts our hearts. It doesn't just remain words on a page, but it comes into our hearts and it's planted deep in our hearts. This is what the Spirit does for us as the witness to Jesus. Two applications from this truth. One, we should really give thanks and praise to God for how His Spirit opens our hearts to receive the Gospel. You know, faith is a gift from God. Faith is something that God has given to us by His Spirit, opening our hearts to receive the truth about Jesus. You know, second, this truth about the work of the Spirit should encourage us to keep sharing the Gospel with those around us and, and not to lose heart. Because when we share the Gospel with someone, we don't do it alone. The Spirit is still testifying to Christ. So our responsibility is just to share the Gospel, to be faithful with speaking the Word about Jesus. And we trust that God is able to work by His Spirit to give the fruit, that He's able to persuade hearts, He's able to bear witness in the hearts of people to help them to see Jesus. And we can trust the work of the Spirit. To draw people to Christ. So we have three witnesses. John speaks of the water, the blood, and the spirit. Three witnesses. Now why three witnesses? Why do we have three witnesses? You know, it's like double confirm plus chop, right? Three witnesses who speak God's truth to us. You know, we need three witnesses because God knows the weakness of our faith. You know, the, the, our, our Father, our loving Father helps our unbelief by speaking truth to us through the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And He gives us a sure foundation for our faith so that we trust Him, we trust His Word. Our, our faith is not based on our feelings or our life circumstances. You know, A number of us are experiencing trials right now you know, I know a number of us have wrestled or are still wrestling with concerns about our health. Some of us are concerned about the well-being of our loved ones. Some of us wrestle with uncertainty about our job situations, about our family lives. You know, It, it, it isn't easy to trust God in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of our suffering. You know, we feel that our faith goes up and down according to our circumstances. You know, we struggle with fear, we struggle with worry, we struggle with anxiety and doubt. You know, and, many, and many times we feel as though our faith is small, as though our faith is weak. What, what this passage tells us, because of these three witnesses that God has spoken through, uh, this sure foundation for our faith, what this passage tells us is that we can have confidence, we can have assurance even in the midst of all these uncertainties of life. Why? Because our faith is not founded on our circumstances. Our faith is founded on the truth about Jesus Christ. So wherever you are today, whether you are suffering or not, whether you are struggling or not, this is the sure foundation of our faith. The security of our salvation doesn't depend ultimately on how much faith we have. The security of our salvation doesn't depend on the quality of our faith, how good our faith may be. But the security of our salvation depends on Christ, on how He is trustworthy. Therefore, we can have certainty in uncertain times. You know, you've seen photographs of tsunamis right after they've devastated a place. you know, imagine that photograph in your mind right now? And sometimes it's, it's quite striking, you see, you know, maybe like one building <laughs> standing after that mass devastation that the tsunami has caused. You know, when, when the tsunami of life sweeps through, what will remain standing? This passage tells us, is this truth about Jesus, whom God has testified to, right, by the water, the blood, and his spirit? This truth about Jesus will remain standing when the tsunamis of life are done with us. You know, that's, that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I know whom, not what. But I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he, he, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Friends, do we know whom we have believed? Why does believing what God says matters? So I' want to close with, with looking at verses 10 to 12. God says in verse 11, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. God testifies about Jesus because He has given His Son for us. He, he speaks of Jesus so that we can know Jesus and by knowing Him, receive Him and receive eternal life. Believing what God says about His Son, is not just an academic exercise, it's not just an intellectual exercise, Believing what God says about His Son matters because our eternal destiny is at stake, friends. Our eternal destiny is at stake. You know, we make many life decisions based on what we hear from others, right? You know, we, we get married based on what we hear from our you know, future spouse. We trust them. And when they say, I do, we, we trust them, right? We, we, make those, we make that major life decision because we trust them. We make a major life decision about work because we trust what our employer says that job will be. I will pay you every month. Okay, I trust you. <laughs> you know, I believe your testimony, so I'll sign on and I'll work for you. Right? So we make so many life decisions based on the testimony of men. So John says, if we receive the testimony of men, then why don't we receive the testimony of God? Is God less trustworthy than men? we trust men more than we trust God? You know, why don't we receive the testimony of God which is greater and even more reliable? If we do not believe God, John says, then actually what we're doing is we're calling Him a liar. You know, you know, if you talk to your friend, and your friends keep saying to you, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I mean, after a while, like, are you really my friend? It's like, do you not trust me? Are you calling me a liar? I mean, that, that's exactly what we do to God. If we reject his word, we're saying to God, God, I don't believe you. I think you're lying. You know what you say about Jesus? It's just not true. Forget it. I don't believe you. You That's what we're doing. If we reject God's testimony about Christ, we are calling him a liar because we think that he's not telling the truth about Jesus. So our unbelief isn't fundamentally an intellectual problem. Unbelief is a problem of pride. No, because we, at, at the heart of it, we'd rather trust in man than trust in God. It takes a lot of humility to receive God's testimony. We, you know We have to lay aside our desire to be right ourselves, to be wise in our own eyes. It, it takes humility to put aside our desire to be self-sufficient and independent of God. John says receiving God's testimony means humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, you're right. I believe what you say. What you say is true. Jesus is who you say he is and therefore I'm willing to trust him. Right? That, that's what it means to receive God's testimony. And those who do so, those who believe what God says about his son, receive eternal life. Now what is eternal life? These verses tell us a few things about eternal life. Firstly, God gave us eternal life, right Eternal life is a gift that we don't deserve and we cannot earn. God gives us life because He is faithful, loving and gracious. And John also says, "This life is in his Son, in Jesus." Now John. In John's Gospel, chapter five, it says, "As the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself." So Jesus doesn't just give us life. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus is the life; He is the source of life. Look at those three passages in John's Gospel. Jesus says of Himself, "Right, I am the living bread." I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. That's why John tells us this life is in his Son. So Believing what God says about Jesus means more than just believing facts about Jesus. It means believing into Jesus. It means leaning the whole weight of our lives Leaning the whole weight of our confidence into Jesus. You know, it's like that title of that popular book, right? Lean In. We have to lean in, not into ourselves, not into something else, but lean in, into Jesus. It's like, it's like sitting on a chair, right? You, you rest your whole weight on that chair because you trust in that chair to hold you up, right? You, you don't kind of hedge your bets. Right, when you sit on the chair, you don't kind of hit your bets and put some weight on your, on your feet and put some weight on the chair. No, your whole weight is on the chair. And of course, if the chair gives way, too bad. <laughs> but your whole weight is on the chair. Lean in, friends. Lean in to Christ. Every part of you, every part of your life, lean in to Christ. That's what it means to believe into Him. Don't, don't hedge your bets. Don't don't say, yeah, 50% Jesus and maybe 50% something else. Don't hedge your bets. It's all into Jesus. And trust your whole life to him. Why? Because God has spoken the truth about him and you can trust what God has said unless you're calling him a liar. So John says in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So we internalize the good news about Jesus so that it transforms our life. We have his word in us. You know, I love eating durians. And sometimes I have friends from overseas and they ask me, so tell us what's distinctive about Singapore. I always tell them, ah, maybe you want to try durian. Right? Go, go have some durian. You know, and they ask me, so what does it taste like? I always don't know how to describe what it tastes like. Right? I mean, uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to describe what durian tastes like. Why don't you just try it, <laughs> right? So that's exactly what John is saying, right? You, you have the testimony in you. It's like having the durian in you, right? You know, I, I can't describe what it's like, but you need the testimony in you. You need to taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to trust Him. Taste have him. Have him in you. And then you know. Right? Taste and see. Whoever has the Son has life. And that's present tense. Having the Son and having the life are present tense. You can have Jesus now, and you can have eternal life now. We can have an ongoing relationship with Jesus as we live out the new life that we have in him. You know, friends, this is not a marriage of convenience, right? This is not just trusting in Jesus to get something, but rather this is a union of love and trust, a true union of love and trust. And we can say if we have Jesus, we can say, my beloved is mine and I am his. Friends, do we have Jesus now? What does it look like to have Jesus now? It means believing and obeying his word means confessing our sins and repenting and trusting in Jesus to make us clean. Having Jesus now means experiencing the joy of fellowship with God, the joy of fellowship with God's people. Having Jesus now means that we love God's people as God has loved us. Having Jesus now means that we have the assurance that we are God's beloved children. Having Jesus now means that we have the confidence to come to God as our heavenly Father and to ask Him in prayer. Having Jesus now means that we look forward with anticipation that one day we will be glorified with Christ. We shall be like Him when He appears. Friends, this is what it means to have Jesus now. Eternal life is not just something in the future. Eternal life is now in the present as we have Jesus as we live out the new life that we've been given by Him. So have we believed what God says about His Son? And and do we have the Son? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are the God who have who has spoken. And Father, you have spoken truth about your Son. You have given testimony about him by the water, by the blood, by your Spirit. And Father, we pray that you would help us to believe in what you have said. Help us to humble ourselves before your word. Help us to acknowledge that we have been proud and we've trusted in other people. We've trusted in ourselves. We've trusted in other things. Uh, rather than trust in you. We've based our lives on what we can see, what we can know, rather, rather than trusting in what you have said. So Father, as we come to you, we pray that you would open our hearts to see the beauty of Christ. Open our hearts, Father, we pray, that we would draw near to him and find in him true life. Father, in the quiet of our hearts now, we pray that you would search us out We pray that you reveal places where we have not trusted in you. And Father, we pray that you would turn us to you. Be merciful to us, we pray. Open our hearts to know you and to know your Son more and more. For that, you say, is eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Let us rise. Come, behold the wondrous mystery of Christ. Has come. look to Christ who consent, who come to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, be the perfect son of man. In his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better end. Come to save the hellbound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the Lord In him we stand. Behold our wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the Lamb in victory. See the prize of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold many sons to glory praise unmeasured love untold come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death the god of life but no great
1: remain standing as we hear these words from Ephesians chapter 3, that we being rooted and
2: grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length
1: and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Please be seated. Please have a moment of quiet reflection and then
2: you are dismissed. Have a great week ahead.